It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Oh. Um, well, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Um, Lord God, I thank you once again for another day. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, God, I just pray that you continue to help us increase our knowledge of you. Um, help us to build on our foundation, grow stronger in you, to know how to use our tools properly. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you help me to teach effectively on today. In Jesus' name I pray, thank God, and amen. Okay, so we covered a whole lot uh, yesterday. I'm going to do a quick review of everything that we talked about yesterday and then get into uh, the poetical books in the Old Testament. So, again, um, we just finished looking at the historical books in the Bible, okay? And so just a reminder, you know, in the Old Testament, right, you have 17 historical books, five poetical books, and then 17 prophetical books. So we'll be going into the prophetical books for prophecy, right? Books of prophecy after uh, we cover the poetical books this week. Um, yeah, so um, all together, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, right? Because 66 books total in the Bible, right? 66 total, 39 in the Old Testament, <clears throat> and 27 in the New Testament, okay? So, um, Let's see. For the poetical books, um, to know like when they were written, we have to kind of look at the historical books. And so, again, even though yes, like they're they're ordered, you know, in your table of contents, they're ordered according to this format, right? The first seventeen are historical, the next five are the poetical, and then the next seventeen are the prophetical, but they are not in chronological order, okay? So, that being said, uh, Job, the book of Job, okay, was written during the time of events during the book of Genesis. So, they believe that Job was written around the time of Genesis, okay? Psalms was written during David's lifetime. It was covered... Uh, in Second Samuel, so it was written during the time of Second Samuel, around the time of David's, when David comes on the scene, his life. Then the last three poetical books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, were all written during Solomon's lifetime, which is covered in First Kings. 
So Job written during Genesis, Psalms written during Second Samuel, around David's lifetime, and then Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, and Song of Solomon were written around the time of First Kings during Solomon's lifetime. Now, uh, the poetical books have three major types of poetry. Okay, they're poetical books, so they're books of poetry. Okay, and they have three major types of poetry, um, which the Hebrew poets used, um, along with a number of like different techniques or literary techniques, um, in order to kind of help us visualize as we're reading, right? They wanted us to be able to kind of see um, an image as we're reading, right? Like, the Lord is my rock. Okay, the Lord is my strong tower, right? They would, like, see it and, you know, kind of link God in a way with certain things that we see in, in life, right? So, again, Poetical books have three major types of poetry, and then the Hebrew poets uh, use various number of techniques, like literary techniques, to communicate God's message. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I'm sorry about that. Um, I know my voice is always messed up. So I'm going to do my best uh, just to get through this, okay? All right. So. Uh, our three major types of Hebrew poetry are lyric, instructional, and dramatic. Okay? Again, we have lyric, instructional, and dramatic. Lyric poetry is to be accompanied by music, right? It's like a song. There's supposed to be music to go along with it. Okay, lyric or lyrics, if you kind of think of like that. Right, it's supposed to have music that goes with it. Instructional, um, these are poems that teach principles of living through those pithy maxims, which I had to go back on that one because I was like, you know, I know we looked it up in Webster. <laughs> that was not good enough for me because I was like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, we defined it in Webster in Webster's dictionary, but let's, I want to make sure. And we're very clear on that. So I Googled it. I literally Googled Pythy Maxim, right? And so uh, what I found was this definition, and it's a literary term definition. So a maxim is a brief statement that contains a little piece of wisdom or a general rule of behavior, okay? The defining characteristic of a maxim is that it's spicy, that is, uh, it packs a lot of meaning into just a few words. So, in other words, a maxim is a brief statement that packs a lot of meaning into just a few words. Okay? Kind of like those little short. Uh, statements or maybe, you know, quotes or some type of poem of that sort. It's real short, but there's so much being said in just that one poem, right? Okay. 
that's where the pipey maxim is. So now we all on one accord because I, I know, I don't know, I felt this needed some more understanding. I wanted to make sure I got a for real understanding. So now we, I know, at least for me, I got an understanding. <laughs> I hope the rest of y'all got an understanding too. Okay, so instructional poems, uh, they teach principles of living. Um, definitely, I would say Proverbs kind of fits in that lane, right? You have these principles of living in in Proverbs, right? And they don't have a whole lot to say, right, or at least in those verses, but yet still it's a whole lot of meaning. There's a whole lot of depth in just those few lines, right? Talking about the slugger, you know. Um, let me see. Let me find got my Bible. Find my my proverb that I like. <laughs> if I can find it. Okay, so. so I want to be able to give examples. Let's do that. I have a lot of Highlighted scriptures, so it's going to take me a little bit. Okay, let's see. Proverbs. Okay, like this is one of my favorites, right? Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So that's Proverbs 3 and 7. It's not a whole lot, but it's saying a whole lot in just that one line. <laughs> right? It's a lot of meaning in just that one verse. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Right? So principles of living. Um, like it says a few words, but it has a whole lot of punch to it. Okay. Now, the last one, of course, is dramatic. So dramatic poems are like a narrative. They tell a story in the form of a poem. Okay. Dramatic poetry are poems or stories in the form of a poem. Okay. Whereas Anders defines it, he says they are a narrative that tells a story in poetic form. So, a story in poetry form. Okay. Again, our three major types of poetry, okay, our poetical books fall into these one of these three categories. So we have lyric, instructional, and dramatic. Okay. Now, there are um, two main literary techniques that are used by the Hebrew poets, and we talked about that too. We spent a lot of time on that first one, I think. Um, we have parallelism, and then the second is figure of speech. Okay? So remember, parallelism isn't rhyming. Okay, we're not rhyming sounds. We're not doing, you know, 
There's a cat. I found a hat. You know, here comes the dog. His friend is a hog. Like, we're not doing that type of thing, okay? They weren't doing that. They were matching ideas. And that's more of a more complex type of thing. Okay, there's Edward. Okay. So they were matching ideas rather than sound. So parallelism, matching of ideas. They're not rhyming. Okay. Um, let me make sure. Okay. So, uh, and then for parallelism, there's different types, but the six most common forms that we're going to see in, in the Bible that you'll see being used are uh, synonymous, synthetic, antithetic, emblematic, climatic, and formal. So again, synonymous, like synonym, synonymous, synthetic, antithetic, emblematic, climatic, and formal. Don't worry, you know, I don't know why they came in my head. Like somebody probably would be asking you to spell this stuff. Don't worry about how to spell that, okay? <laughs> don't worry about that. Make sure you know what the six are, okay? Now, uh, for synonymous, remember, similar ideas. The ideas are similar. And remember, they gave us Psalms 25. Verse 4. So let's go there. Psalms 25, verse 4. And it reads in King James Version, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. So, ways, paths, synonyms. They're synonymous. Those are ideas that are synonymous. Okay? Path, way, the same concept. So remember, the key word in synonymous is a synonym. What is a synonym? Two words that are similar. They're alike. Okay? Right? I, I loathe broccoli. I hate broccoli. I greatly dislike broccoli. It's a synonym. Right? But I love cake. Um, I adore cake. I really, really enjoy cake. I love cake. I'm infatuated with cake. <laughs> Those are synonyms. Because even though it's not, you know, it's not exactly the same word, right? But they have a similar meaning. So synonymous, ideas are similar. Or similar ideas. Probably the best way to think of it. Okay. Similar ideas. Anonymous. Similar ideas. Okay. Now, synthetic. So in a synthetic 
poem, the second thought completes the first, or rather, you know, it sounds kind of backwards, but the first thought is completed by the second thought. Okay? So for that one, he gave us Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that was uh, Psalms 23, uh, verse 1, King James Version. All right? So if you notice, at least in my Bible, uh, there's a semicolon, right? And then the thought is completed in the second line, I shall not want. Now, we have antithetic. So this is where we have a contrast. Okay, we have a contrast of ideas. Okay. Um, I thought he gave us a verse for that, but I do not have it written in my notes. Pretty sure he did, though. Um, hold on a sec. <clears throat> Get the book. Double check. Because I'm pretty sure. No one Anders always gives you some type of Bible verse. So let's see. Alright. He wrote that. Right. Ah, he did. Write that down. I forget again. So Psalms, uh, one and six. Let me go there now. Psalms 1 and 6. Okay. So Psalms 1 and 6 reads, is the last verse, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Right. So we have two contrasting ideas, right? about the righteous and then the wicked, right, the ungodly. So I'll read that again and again. Um, I'm going to be reading from King James Bible. Psalms 1 and 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. That's the first thought. But then the contrasting thought is in the second line, But the way of the godly shall perish. So those are two contrasting ideas. Okay. Now, we have emblematic. So the first line uses a figure of speech to illustrate the idea stated in the second. So the first line uses figure of speech to kind of help us visualize uh, the idea that's being stated in the second line. 
And so for that, he gave us Psalms 42. Psalms chapter 42, verse, uh, verse 1. Okay. And so the first line is, and this is King James Version, uh, I'll go, well, I'll go ahead and read the whole verse. So uh, Psalms 42, 1, King James, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. So that first thought is, as the heart or deer panteth after the water brooks. That's the figure of speech in there. So panteth my soul after thee. So the soul, right, my soul, this is, uh, <clears throat> I'm about comparing the deer to our soul, right? Or in this case, my soul, right? And so, remember, talking about how we should be desiring God the way that deer is, like, thirsting after that water. That's how we should be thirsting after the Lord, right? Our soul should be thirsting after God. So if you are not that excited about God like that, or you don't have that strong desire for him, that same fire and intensity, um, then it's time to do a heart check. It's time to really analyze, okay, what is taking God's place in my life, right? So, yes, that figure of speech, or comparing, it's like a simile, I guess, in this case, because you're comparing uh, the two things that are unlike. Soul and a deer are not the same. Right, but it's saying that you know we should, and my aunt is calling me y'all. Oh, sorry about that. It's saying that um, we should have the same thirst and desire for God. Okay, that's simile or figure of speech there. Right now, uh, next was climatic. So the second line, you know, there's repetition, right? But the last word or words in the second line are different. It's slightly different. So let's go to that verse. So that was uh, Proverbs 31. And what verse? Verse 4. So Proverbs 31, verse 4, it is not for kings, O mule, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, princes strong drink. So again, it is not for kings, O mule. The first part is the part that's being repeated. It is not for kings. That's the repetition part. Okay, but they didn't say O mule again. They said it's not for kings. To drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Okay. Again, it is not for kings is the repetition part. The first line will be, it is not for kings or a mule. The second part is, it is not for kings to drink strong wine. Or, I'm sorry, to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Okay. Thematic has repetition. 
But the second line in the verse, uh, usually the last word or the last few words will be different. But the beginning part will repeat itself. So again, climatic, we have repetition. The beginning part of the first two lines will repeat, but the end of the second line will be different. Okay. All right, then we have the formal one. That's the last parallelism. So the formal parallel parallelism, both lines of poetry must exist for a complete thought. So let's look at that very carefully. Uh, we're going back to Psalms. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 6. Okay. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Right now, this is the one where, like I said, it, he had a different version. I believe we went over that. Should have. Because his, I'm not sure which version he's coming from, right? Um, Anders' version, uh, the version he's using says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Okay. So if we were to break it up according to the, the version that he's using, uh, looking at King James, it would be like, um, I have set my king, stop, next line, upon my holy hill of Zion. So, yeah, you kind of you kind of need them. You definitely need that second part because otherwise it's kind of out there, upon my holy hill of Zion. Uh, okay. What upon the holy hills are you on? What's happening? You know, it just kind of trails off. So we need those two thoughts or those two ideas to kind of complete the entire thought. Okay. Um, I'll be honest. I, I personally am probably going to do a little bit more research on my own just because in my opinion, <laughs> I know that these are the verses that he, he gave. He didn't really go in depth um, because, to be honest, like the synthetic one he gave us for Psalms 23 sounds a little bit alike to me, um, to the formal one. You kind of have something where it's like, okay, they're both um, similar in that regard, right, you still have a completing of thought. Um, but I think the difference is that in a formal one, um, you need both of them because if you only have one or the other, it doesn't sound quite finished. Uh, something, like it just doesn't sound, it sounds like somebody trailed off or somebody was in the middle of saying something and it just stopped if you were to just take that second one out. Whereas the synthetic one, um, you could just have the first line by itself, right? It, it could be fine, but the second line kind of 
finishes what's being stated. So it's just like a, you know, kind of just finishing off what was said in the first, but the first one isn't necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily like you don't you don't understand if you don't have a second one, right? It could technically stand on its own, but the second one is just coming in to kind of finish the statement being made. Whereas a formal one, you absolutely need both. Um, there's no way it's going to be able to stand on its own because without one or the other, it won't make sense. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> But I was still, like I said, I want to make absolutely sure that that is exactly what that is. So I will definitely be doing a little bit more research on that, and then I'll get back to y'all because I want to make sure that I'm teaching it exactly right. Okay. All right, see. So all together once again, right? Um, parallelism. Right, the six most common, we just went over them, synonymous, similar ideas, synthetic, first thought is completed by the second, antithetic, we have contrast between the first and second thought, emblematic, Um, first line uses figure of speech, to kind of illustrate or give us a visual of the idea being stated in the second. Emblematic, our first line, as figure of speech, visualize or help us visualize the idea that's stated in the second line. Climatic. The second line, we have repetition, basically. So we have repetition in the second line. Uh, The last word, a few words, will differ from the first line. So the beginning part of the first two lines repeat. The second line, the last few words, the last word will be changed. It will be different. And finally, we have formal. Both lines are needed to complete the thought. Let me give you all those verses again. (laughs) So, synonymous, for synonymous one, that was Psalms 25 and 4 as our example. Synthetic was Psalms 23 and 1. Antithetic was Psalm 1 and 6. Emblematic, Psalm 42, verse 1. Climatic, Proverbs 31, verse 4. And then finally, the formal one, Psalms 2, verse 6. Okie dokie. All right, keep the bottom there by because we still got some more verses. <laughs> All right, so figures of speech. Figures of speech. Okie dokie. So figures of speech, like I said, they are 
kind of mentioned it earlier, right? They give us a visual image. They help us kind of paint this picture in our minds as we're reading it. Okay? So that was the Hebrew poet's goal. They want us to have this kind of mental picture as we're reading, um, something that we can connect things to. Tangible things. They use very vivid figure of speech. Okay, like I said, the deer panted after the water, right? Okay. That being said, there are five common figures of speech that the Hebrew poets used. There's more in you know literary in literature, but these are the five most common ones that you will see because they use more than that, right? But there are five most common ones that they used um, that you'll see in the Bible, okay? The first is simile, right? So simile is the comparison of two unlike things. Remember the deer and the soul? All right, well, now we got another another one, and that is in Psalms chapter 17. Psalms chapter 17, verse 8. Go to that now. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Right. The key thing about simile is that they usually use like or as. Okay. Some of y'all are probably going right back to, what was that, English, I guess? To teach you about all this stuff. All right, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Okay, that first line, and there we go, right? Climatic. I'm sorry, not climatic. Emblematic. We have an emblematic use here because the first line is, keep me as the apple of, thy eye, of the eye, and then hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Okay. So the apple of the eye, simile. So we have two unlike things that are being compared, the person's self and then the apple of the eye. Okay. Then we have metaphor. Again, we go back to Psalms 23 and 1 for this one. All right. And so for those who don't know, a uh, metaphor is a comparison in which one thing is said to be another, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So that first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Metaphor, not a simile. See, he is my shepherd. They're comparing the Lord to a shepherd. Didn't say the Lord is like a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd. Remember, simile uses like or as, but a metaphor is comparing one thing to be another. It's saying it is that thing. 
Lord is our shepherd. We're his lambs. <laughs> right? But we have simile metaphor. The next is hyperbole. All right. Hyperbole is, uh, as Andrews defines it, a deliberate overstatement for the sake of emphasis. Um, I won't say exaggeration, but you could, I guess, say it kind of like that, an overstatement or a deliberate exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. So they're emphasizing it. All right, for this we have Psalm 6, verse 6. Okay, so King James Version. I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. So here, right, uh, first of all, let's see who wrote this. So this is David who wrote this song. Okay. That is a lot of crying. That is a lot of pain, a lot of hurt that he's going through. Okay, because, you know, you can't literally make your bed swim. Okay, that's, that you'd probably be dehydrated um, if you were crying that much. I don't even know if you would have any water left in your body, right? So nobody can act physically, you know, cry that hard, right? That's that overstatement, right? Making my bed to swim. So I water my couch from my tears. Um, I think in the version that Anders had, let me check to see. Yeah, in the version that Anders is reading from, uh, he has, I dissolve my couch with my tears. So again, we have this, this overstatement, right? That's not physically possible. But in poetry, you might use that again, to kind of give people this visual of just how hard this man is crying, right? Somebody's crying that hard that there's a lot of pain and agony. They're going through a lot to be crying that much, okay? Going through some stuff. And so that's just adding that emphasis, like I said, making that point that, hey, I am hurting right now. <laughs> I'm really hurting bad, okay? hyperbole. Then we have the rhetorical question, right? I always thought it was funny because rhetorical questions don't require an answer. It's actually a statement in the form of a question, right? Uh, for example, if I was to say something like, you know, if you have a horrible prayer life and you're not meditating on your word, you're not spending time with the Lord, where do you think you're going to end up? Or how do you think you're going to be spiritually? Right, and it might sound like a question, but it's actually a statement. Like it's more or less saying, like you know, the thing that's not being said. Right, you're going to be in bad shape. <laughs> you're going to be in bad shape spiritually. You're not going to be strong spiritually. You're going to be weak, right? But you always have some people who answer rhetorical questions, even though it doesn't need to be answered. <laughs> it just happens. But yeah, it's a statement in the form of a question, 
So the answer is pretty much already understood. We don't need to, it doesn't need a response, right? Uh, for this, we have Psalms uh, 106. Psalms chapter 106. And then we have verse 2. All right. And in verse 2, it says in King James, Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? One more time. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? And in my head, it's like I, I can hear that one person, nobody. <laughs> like, it didn't need you to answer that. We know. You know? <laughs> it's an understood statement. It's a statement, right? No one can utter the mighty acts of the Lord. No one can show forth all his praise. There is no way. God is too deep. So, you know, if you really think that, well, well, you know, I know all there is to know about God. No, you don't. You'll be forever spending the rest of your life learning about him, learning of him every day, drawing closer to him every day. There is no way possible to know all there is to know about God. There's no way that you can sit here today and be like, yeah, I can tell about all the things that he's done. He might, you might be able to tell all the things that he's done in your life. You can't tell me all the things he's done in mine. That's my testimony. You know, like you can't tell me what he's doing for somebody right now, you know, in China, in Russia, uh, in Belize, in, you know what I mean, like in Minnesota. You know what I mean? Like you can't do it. Because God is working all the time, and he is doing numerous things all the time, all at once. He's omnipotent. He's always working. He never takes a break. Right? So there's no way that we can possibly do that. But again, it's not asking you that. It's really telling you there's no way that you can do this. But it's putting it in the form of, like I said, a rhetorical question. Okay? Again, that was, uh, Psalms 106, verse 2, so a rhetorical question, right? And then our last one, our last common one, is personification. Okay, so giving human characteristics to lifeless objects. Okay, personification. The key word, personify or person, right? Giving lifeless objects, human characteristics. So for this, they give us Psalms 104 and then uh, Psalms 104, verse 19. Psalms chapter 104, verse 19. So in King James Version, he appointed the moon for seasons the sun knoweth his going down. So the sun here has been personified, right? It's been given human characteristics. Why? First of all, it's been given a gender. Uh, that's the first thing. And then two, it knoweth, right? The sun knoweth his going down. So that you know, kind of gives us the 
thought that, oh, the sun has like, it has some type of consciousness or awareness to know his going down and when it's supposed to go down, right? Like, oh, time for me to go down, you know, time for me to call it a day, <laughs> Okay. Now, in Anders, the version that Anders has, it says, uh, the sun knows the place of its setting. Even that it's, right? We can say it, right? It's genderless, but the sun knows the place of its setting. So again, we're, we're being told, you know, the, the sun has some kind of awareness or human consciousness or some type of, yeah, awareness that, Okay, it knows when it's supposed to go down and when the moon is supposed to go down. Like, oh, okay, time for me to go on the other side of the world now. Right? So it's being compared to a human. Sometimes, um, I don't know, maybe there's like something that you own and or like a pet rock. Right? And like, man, you know, I swear it's like when he through their water, their rock across the water is like it was running for the, running for its life, you know, that's personification. You could say it like that, okay. In this case, again, it's like the sun knows, I mean, you know, as far as we know, the sun doesn't have a brain. Burning ball of light is a star, okay. But here is being, like I said, personified or it's being given uh, human characteristic. So, all together, again, we have uh, figures of speech, we have simile. Okay, and that was Psalm 17, verse 8. Okay, and a simile, remember, is a comparison between two unlike things. The deer and the soul are two very different things. Metaphor, we have comparison as well, but it's saying that something is that thing. Not like, or, you know, it's like or as. No, no, no. It's saying it is that. Okay, so the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my refuge. Well, he's like a refuge. He's kind of, you know, you can kind of think of him as a refuge. You can kind of think of him as, no, he is that for me in my life. Okay? Metaphor. Uh, hyperbole. Remember, exaggeration or overstatement, a deliberate overstatement for the sake of emphasis. So we're overstating to emphasize something. For that, we got Psalms 6 and 6. Did I tell you all the verse for metaphor? No, I did not. Okay, so metaphor, again, was Psalms 23 and 1. Hyperbole is uh, Psalms 6 and 6. Metaphor, Psalms 23 and 1. Hyperbole, Psalms 6 and 6. All right. Uh, rhetorical question. A statement in the form of a question. It doesn't need an answer because the answer is already understood. Okay. Um, for that, we have Psalm 106, verse 2. 
And finally, we have uh, personification. That's the one we just talked about, right? Giving lifeless objects human characteristics. Okay, making them like people. Person, personification, personify, person. Personification is giving lifeless objects human characteristics. Okay. For that, that was Psalms 104, verse 19. So, uh, the one thing to note that Anders makes the point is, yes, there are other figures of speech, but again, these five are the most notable. You will see them quite often throughout the poetical books. Okay? You will see them. <laughs> All right. Um, these ones in particular uh, use that visual imagery that the Hebrew poets wanted to use, right? They wanted to give us those pictures in our mind so that when we say, you know, the Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my shelter, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shield, you know, those certain types of things. Like he'll be he'll be my my shield, he'll be my buckler, right? You see it. Okay. So the one thing that Anders, you know, makes a point to say is uh, if you can get past the need to hear rhyme and rhythm, you can gain an appreciation for Hebrew poetry. These men were wordsmiths and thoughtsmiths played with words and ideas, contrasting them, comparing them, completing them in ways that lifted them above mere prose, right? So this was not just some regular poetry you know, that maybe you read in English class and, you know, whatever. No. Like, these people were highly skilled and they were good at what they did. I mean, clearly. Because even, you know, people who maybe you don't read the Bible like that, but I'm pretty sure you've heard at least one verse out of Psalms 23, right? Uh, even today, like, that is the one psalm that I feel like a lot of people resonate with because of its strength in that psalm. So, yeah, God is awesome like that. <laughs> okay. Now, I know we're going on for a minute, but I uh, really, really want to get into these. So, uh, this might run over a bit, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take kind of go over this. I'll make sure to go over it again, at least the five books uh, for next week. We're jumping into the prophetical books because I want to make sure, you know, take our time, give guys time, right? So uh, the first one that we're going to be looking at is Job. Now, the, the discussion that he has about these five books is kind of short, but uh, still a lot of meaty stuff. So I guess in a way it's his own little maxim. <laughs> but uh, Job, the description here is suffering and God's sovereignty. So that's the focus in Job, suffering and God's sovereignty. Okay. 
So the breakdown of Job is we have Job, who is a very wealthy, godly man. Okay? And one day his situation dramatically changes, right? Um, you know, God allows Satan to attack him. In the process, he loses his health, wealth, his family, right? It's like he's, he loses everything, right? He had everything, and now he's lost everything. And so he just goes into this deep, deep suffering, right? The book of Job represents dramatic poetry. So this falls into the dramatic poetry category, right? And so... This is a narrative. It's a story about this man, Job, in the form of poetry. Remember, dramatic poetry is a story in the form of a poem. So that's what the book of Job is. Right? Now, uh, there's a lot of internal struggles. Okay? And he proceeds to kind of go back and forth with his three friends, right? Or as Anders puts it, a series of debates <laughs> uh, with his three friends. Um, as the way he put it was, Anders says, you know, a series of debates with his three friends, trying to gain a proper perspective on suffering and God's sovereignty. Um, I definitely have a different opinion on that. Uh, in a way, when I read the book of Job, what I get from it is that, yeah, they're debating about, you know, like I said, that perspective of suffering, right? Well, if you're suffering, you must have done something wrong because why would God bless you and just take everything away like that? Why would God allow you to go through all these things if you didn't do anything wrong? And that was kind of like their rationale, right? And so Job is constantly like, man, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything, right? He kind of gets to a point where he's like, God, what what did I do? Like, what, you know, like I've, I've searched my heart. I've really, you know, I've reflected, and I can't think of one thing that I did wrong. Like, what what's happening? Okay. Um, so in the end, right, God reveals his majesty and his power. Uh, this is what Anders, his summary. Um, and Job's questions are never answered, um, but he really submits to the sovereignty of God, and everything is restored and doubled. His fortune is restored and doubled. Right. Um, and again, I kind of laugh because his questions weren't answered, but then they were. Um, the way God <laughs> kind of answers him is the way a parent answers their child, right? When they're like, well, why? And, I don't understand. Why does it have to be like this? And da, 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 you know, and that parent turns around and is like, because I'm your parent and I said so. Right? Because I said so. And in a way, I feel like that's how God did Job. Like, he just moved was like, because I'm the Lord. Because I'm God. <laughs> like, that's why. In the discussion, you know. So, yeah, he, he answered him, but, you know, it's like he didn't answer them, but he, but he did. Like, he like, hey, I'm God, you know. <laughs> I'm your, I'm your daddy. That's why I'm daddy, and I said so. Okay. Uh, Psalms. 
this is definitely, I mean, he didn't mention it, but it's definitely a lyrical, this lyric category when we're talking about Psalms, because a lot of it, if you notice in your Bible, um, whether you have like a physical Bible or an e-Bible, um, like right now I'm looking at Psalms, and you'll notice that some of them will even say like it's set to music. Set to the musician, blah, blah, blah. Let me see if I find one. Ooh. Yeah, so here, like Psalm 6, to the chief musician, uh, and I cannot say that old man's name, on Aginneth, Aginneth upon Sheminith, a Psalm of David. So that one where he's talking about, I make my cause my bed to swim, right? To the chief musician. So Psalms, a lot of them were, were set to music. Um, I know Pastor has mentioned before, he taught us how you're not really supposed to read Salah, Salah out loud because it's a rest. It's just there to let you know this is a musical pause. Pause here. Okay, that's what it's for. It's not really supposed to be read out loud. Um, but definitely would fit in the lyric poetry category. Okay? So. Psalm itself means book of praises. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Uh, there are 150 of them in total, and they are all divided into five smaller, quote-unquote, books. Okay. So we have 150 of them, and they're broken up into five smaller ones. Okay, five smaller sections if you want to look at it like that. Okay. Now, uh, Psalms is used as a book of prayer and praise in public worship, used as a book of prayer and praise in public worship, in the tabernacle, the temple, and synagogues. Okay? And that is actually our, our summary for Psalms. The book of Psalms is praise in public worship. Right. With Job, we had suffering and God's sovereignty. With the book of Psalms, we have praise in public worship. It was used as a book of prayer and praise in public worship, the tabernacle, temple, and synagogues. Now, within this book, <laughs> okay, we have three primary types of psalms. We have praise, thanksgiving, and lament. Praise, thanksgiving, and lament. Right? I don't know. I feel like I hear hear that one person who's like, what does lament mean? Uh, you might have heard the word like lamentation, lamentation. Okay, but I'm gonna give y'all the Webster dictionary. Okay. Um, something that expresses sorrow, mourning, or regret for something. Okay, or to regret strongly. Regret something strongly. So sorrow, mourning, or regret. 
also mean as a verb to mourn aloud or wail. But in this case, uh, mourn, fret, or sorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. Mourning, regret, or sorrow. That's what a lament. To lament means. Okay. So, praise, right? Praising God, rejoicing in the Lord, right? Thanksgiving, we're thanking God. No matter what circumstance is, right? Giving God thanks. And then lament. Okay, reflecting on those things that we've done, feeling sorrowful, kind of those psalms of repentance. I feel like we're falling into that category. Right? Sorrowful, even the, the song we read, right? He, his tears caused his bed to swim. Okay? Now, King David himself wrote half of these poems in Psalms. You wrote half of them, right? Different authors wrote the rest, so they're not really sure, like, who all those different authors were. But they know that King David wrote half of them. That is a lot of writing, okay? So just to summarize that up, because I know that was kind of, that was kind of meaty, but Psalms, so the word psalm is book of praise, book of praises. There's 150 psalms total that are broken up into five smaller, we'll say sections. He says books, but we'll say sections. Okay. Book of Psalms is used as a book of prayer and praise, public worship, the tabernacle, temple, and synagogues, our three types were praise, thanksgiving, and lament. And then King David wrote half of them. While several different authors wrote the rest. Okay. All right. Then we have Proverbs. So, uh, our summary of Proverbs is that it is wisdom skill for living, right? Wisdom, skill for living. Um, the whole purpose of Proverbs is that is to impart wisdom, giving us wisdom, right, or skills for living. Okay, it highlights specifically practical wisdom, discernment, Self-discipline and moral courage. So the purpose of Proverbs is to give us wisdom or skills for living. And it specifically highlights or focuses on practical wisdom, discernment, self-discipline, and moral Courage. Okay, now remember, we talked about instructional poetry, right? This, uh, I think I mentioned that earlier, right? It's instructional poetry. It fits 
under that category. Because remember, what does instructional poetry do? It gives us or teaches us principles of living. <laughs> That's the key thing. It teaches us principles of living through those pithy maxims, right? Those few words, just a few words, but has so much meaning packed into it. And that is Proverbs just all right there. Okay? So, instructional poetry, giving us wisdom or skills for living, focuses on practical wisdom, discernment, self-discipline, and moral courage. All right? Um, it also focuses on one's relationship to God and others. As far as things like uh, money, moral, speech, industry, honesty, etc., etc. Okay? So, how God relates us in everything and other people. At the end of the day, God is going to hold us accountable by how we handle others. Don't worry about what people are trying to do to you. He is going to hold you accountable by how you did other people. Why? Because we are supposed to represent him. We're supposed to be living for him. We're supposed to be his representation, right, to the world. We're supposed to be presenting God to the world. We tell God who we think he is or who he is in our life by the way that we walk, the way we talk, the way we treat people, the way that we handle adversity, okay? You are telling people who your God is every day, okay? So, <laughs> main message here is that a life of wisdom and righteousness should preempt or come before, right, or should take precedence over a life of foolishness and unrighteousness. Whole message behind Proverbs that a life of wisdom and righteousness should preempt, it should trump all that stuff. A life of foolishness and unrighteousness. Let's be real for a second, okay? Because I feel like we can do that. Uh, it's fun to sin. If it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. So let's just be real about that. However, living for the Lord can be fun too, <laughs> okay? But once you get a taste of sin, it's just like, you know, is out, you out there now, right? It doesn't just go away like after you get saved. Like you're going to be constantly tempted as you go along this walk, as you're walking with the Lord, you're going to constantly have stuff on your face. Satan does not quit. He doesn't give up. He's not like, oh, well, you know, I, okay. If he decided to leave Jesus alone until another opportune time, and that says it in the word, what do you think he's going to do to you? Okay, because that was the son of God, okay? Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> the son of God. And he was still like, okay, I'm coming back at another time. And I feel like I got another opportunity. <laughs> so who are we? Right? So, yeah, you know, a life of wisdom and righteousness 
has to come before this. Like, yeah, I know that that looks appealing to you. But I promise you, if you go down that path, it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> right? And so that's the whole purpose of Proverbs. Uh, next up was Ecclesiastes. Our summary for Ecclesiastes is futility of temporal pursuits, uselessness of things that are temporary, if you want to think of it like that. Okay. Futility of temporal pursuits or uh, the vanity or uselessness of temporary things. Right. So here, um, our, our main author in Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Okay. And so Solomon tries to find the meaning of life through industry, pleasure, wealth, wisdom, and power. So all he's trying to find, you know, the meaning of life through the cares of the world, in a, in a sense, things in the world. And the result is that he finds them all unsatisfying, so none of them can satisfy him, right? Nothing in this world can satisfy you. After he reflects on these things, and the futility of temporal pursuits, okay, uh, he concludes in Ecclesiastes that um, only one thing can satisfy man, and that is to fear God and keep his commandments. All right? The book of Ecclesiastes is, falls under the category of instructional Poetry. Right. And they actually give us a verse. Um, Ecclesiastes 12. Go there. That's the last chapter. Ecclesiastes 12. And then verse 13. Okay. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Sorry, this is King James. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, after that, verse 14, because, you know, I, I want to read that too. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Okay, I feel like we got we need to read them two verses again, so... Oh, we that's the 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Okay? If you want to have a satisfying life, okay, you might not have everything that you want. But when you're truly satisfied in the Lord, you know, yeah, you can chase after all the little pretty stuff out there. It's not going to complete you. It's not going to fill those holes up that are inside of you. You can try to, you know, get your body count up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Get you as many boo things as you want. They're not going to satisfy you like the Lord can. You can make as much money. You can be making seven figures. It's not going to satisfy you the way the Lord can. 
You can have you a very successful company. It's not going to satisfy you the way the Lord can. Nothing in this world can satisfy you the way Jesus can. So again, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? If your heart is not where it's supposed to be, if it's not planted in the Lord like it's supposed to be, if something else has become your treasure, right? Something else has become your idol, your God, then you're going to start seeing that in your walk. It's like, eh, you know, I just, I'm not as interested anymore. Eh, well, you know, eh, it's just not as, as interesting. It's not as, uh, it's not as exciting. Uh, then you start craving junk, right? And you, of course, if you're taking in a lot of junk from the world, okay, yeah, we well, we gotta have balance. Okay, yeah, balance, but come on, some stuff. Like you know that you don't need to be messing with that because you know where it's gonna take you spiritually. It's gonna have you. Your mind is definitely not gonna be on God if you're fooling with it. You know. <laughs> You know you need to leave it alone. You know you need to leave them alone. And you're still over there messing with them. It, whatever that vice is, whoever that person is that you've been needing to let go of, right? So again, you know, he he went through all this stuff, and he basically put it in a book for us to be like, hey, the only thing that's going to satisfy you is fearing God and keeping his commandments, obeying him abiding in hell, right? We talked about that last year with the uh, uh, Ephesians study. Abiding in God, right, so that our joy can remain full. That was combined with John, the book of John, how we talked about how those two kind of tie in together. So, yeah. If Solomon, the wisest king to man, you know, it's telling you, yeah, you you don't want to fool with that. I, I think that's a good sign, right? But, you know, we hard-headed, and it's like, well, that didn't work for him, but see, what, you know, I'm going to do is, okay, there's nothing new under the sun, but okay, you go ahead. You try your way. You try that method out that's probably been tried out many times before, before you was even born. Go ahead and try that out see what happens. <laughs> <sighs> Right, and then the last verse, like I said, that's a reminder for us. Like he's gonna bring every work into judgment, whether it be good or evil. He's gonna he's gonna examine everything. So you better be on point, you know. Better be on it. Remember, David was not perfect, but he knew how to repent and he knew how to turn away. It wasn't no, oh, I'm sorry, I got caught. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry, you know, can you just give me a pass this time? Oh, well, you know, I'm going to just tell him I'm sorry, but I'm going to still keep doing it. Oh, he was like, you know what, Lord, I need to stop doing this, and he stopped. He turned away from the sin. Right? He repented. Okay. we got to learn to do that, too. Right? Then finally, we have Song of Solomon. Our summary for Song of Solomon is that it is God's marriage manual. I love that so much. <laughs> Song of Solomon is God's marriage manual. Okay, we learn about intimacy and relationships here, right? 
This is a form of dramatic poetry. Song of Solomon falls into the dramatic poetry category. And it gives us a picture of the intimate love relationship between Solomon and his bride. It also presents God's perspective on married love. So again, Song of Solomon falls under the dramatic poetry category. Gives us the picture of intimate love between Solomon and his bride. And it presents God's perspective on married love. Let me see if I can find the one verse that that be that be the one I was thinking of. Uh, I'll have to find it, but I know there's like a verse in there in Solomon where it talks about you know basically waiting for the right time. Wait until you marry it, <laughs> you know. Um, when you don't wait, you end up getting your heart smashed, um, get caught up and entangled in some mess. <laughs> you know, waiting on that one that God has for you and how, like, what intimacy really looks like between married folk, <laughs> okay? It's like, I don't need to, you know, I don't really... You know, all that stuff. I'll just, just go to the Bible, read that one time. Okay? Very romantic. Right? So, whew, that is all of them. We're going to do real, real quick. All right? So, Joe, remember the summary for that is suffering and God's sovereignty. All right? It is a dramatic falls in the dramatic poetry category. Story in the form of a poem. And we have psalm, right? Psalm, praise and public worship. The word psalm itself means book of praise, book of praises. Okay, means book of praises. Falls in the lyric category. Proverbs, wisdom, skill for living, right? Wisdom, skill for living, it falls in the instructional poetry category. Ecclesiastes, utility of temporal pursuits or uselessness, right? Utility, vanity. Is vanity or uselessness, okay? Temporal pursuits, temporary stuff, <clears throat> things that are not going to satisfy you, right? It also falls in the instructional category, right? And then finally, Song of Solomon, God's Marriage Manual. Falls under the dramatic poetry category. 
that is everything. Like I said, I know I know this was a long one, but like I said, I really wanted to finish this. So we are all caught up now <laughs> on everything that is the that is literally it. Um, it was kind of a short segment, but those are all the poetical books. Um, then next week, like I said, I'll do a quick review again because I know it was quite a bit. And then we'll start going into the prophetical books. So, yeah, exciting stuff. We are literally now uh, two-thirds done with the Old Testament. We just have one more section to go. So really exciting. I uh, hope you all have an awesome weekend. I'm going to go ahead and pray us out. Lord God, I thank you for another day. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that your words will resonate with your people. Um, help us to really seek your face and help us to understand the importance of these things in our life, of your word in our life. Um, help us to get a better understanding and grasp of the things that we're reading in your word, um, to have your interpretation and not our own, um, to walk according to your word because you are going to judge us according to our deeds and the things that we have done in this life. Uh, Lord God, give us a heart to serve you with all our might, with every bit of us, God, and not just the parts that we feel like giving over. Um, Lord, I pray that you'll continue just to minister to those who are really struggling through this year. Um, God, remind us who you are when we start to forget. And Lord God, I just thank you and I praise you just for being who you are. Um, Even in the midst of the chaos, God, you're still there. You're still with us. You're fighting for us. And you're not going to abandon us. You're not going to forsake us. Even when it feels like we're alone, you're still there. And I just thank you for that, God. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, thank God, and amen. All right. I guess I'm going to go rest my voice. <laughs> but I really hope that y'all have a, an awesome weekend, like I said. Uh, I know this was a lot, so like you know, I mentioned before, I will do a quick review next week before going into the next section. But, whew. Uh, it's been an exciting time, growing together steadily one step at a time. Um, at least I hope you guys are. <laughs> Y'all take care and be blessed. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.